Welcome to Ethereal Soup. My name is Kenzie, aka Moon Mama, and here is my co-host, Sophia, aka The Seventh Star. And thank you for listening. I hope you like it. All right. So in today's episode, we are going to hear Sophia's story. Uh, We're going to start probably from the beginning, I assume. Yeah. 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 Childhood and then just kind of go into like the awakening and everything and what's happened since then. Um, And then next episode, we'll talk about mine. So here we go. (laughs) all right I made some notes um I make such uh such detailed notes not (laughs) childhood um I I think I like I had a pretty like I wasn't I didn't experience any severe abuse or anything like that there was Um, poverty and my dad he was around until I was in about fourth grade Um, and then he left and it was pretty traumatic I have a I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder at one point and it kind of fits the like the abandonment textbook definition And, like, I don't remember a whole ton of my childhood. I went to, like, six different schools, never really had, like, solid roots. And I remember that being a really big thing. It's like, I was always jealous of people that had been friends since they were kids. And I, I mean, I have a couple of those, but we didn't stay in touch or anything. Like, well, one of them, um, we've just recently got back in touch, but from, like, ages 12 till now. 27 we weren't really talking um and there's a couple things that I had a couple reoccurring dreams that um have finally come full circle and which was pretty wild um one of them where me and my mom are like standing on a patio overlooking the ocean and I live on um, Vancouver Island. So it's like very much the same scenery. And there's like a tsunami or there's like a big white wave coming and I'm panicking and trying to get her to leave, get everyone to go. And she's just like calmly sitting there being like, we're fine you're fine, we're not going anywhere. And that always, that irked me for a lot of my life. And there's a a couple more dreams like that where there'd be like a demon or some sort of creature um, coming for me and she just like calmly wouldn't help me. And I, I feel like that translates into like some of our relationship issues but it wasn't so much as she abandoned me because she was like she was always really good in making sure I had what I needed it was more she didn't necessarily have the capacity to deal with all that I came with and my emotions and we're very like we're not we're not we're very different in a lot of ways She's like a Gemini moon, and I'm like a Cancer, Taurus moon. She's an Aquarius Gemini moon, (laughs) so a lot of air. 
and I'm all water and earth. So I was a lot to deal with. Um, and so that wave dream, when it finally came to my awakening this past year, it was kind of like the theme played itself out in when I was like losing my mind and going through the kind of paranoia, psychosis. Um, I got into like conspiracy theory stuff surrounding like the archons and like the vaccine and stuff like that. And uh, I called her and was like going on a rant about how it's life or death. And she was like, well, for you, it's life or death. And she just, she was, she was able to like be my, uh, like a calm rock for me, but I could see, I don't know if that makes sense where it's like, yeah. I could see the awakening. I could see the stuff coming. I was scared and had a lot of illusionary ideas and like fears with feeling like with losing my mind. So anyways, I don't know if that made sense, but it kind of played out. It's hard to get into the flow right now. Okay. Anyways, so dreams, there's a lot of them that I've had. I'm not going to go through every one of them, but that was like, I didn't really experience a lot of paranormal um, stuff as a kid. It was more my dreams were a big part of my childhood and like my experience with the woo. And then as I got into like preteen years, um, there was just a lot of pain. Like I was like extremely self-loathing, um, a very dark, <laughs> a dark 12 year old and was always really fascinated by serial killers and psychopaths and like the more dark things of life, like a morbid curiosity. Um, I don't think that really means anything necessarily but I think part of me thought that it was I was very curious as to like how that happens or why the darkness exists and like how far it can go and um I think that relates a bit to my past lives and what has gone on in those but I attempted suicide at 12 or 13 I think it was 12 and it was using the same antidepressants that I got put on when I started my, uh, so I didn't start to lose my mind until about six months or so after I began my like intensive trauma healing journey. And when I first finally was like, my mental health was so bad and I couldn't cope. And I finally, like I'd done it without, I'd coped without pharmaceuticals for most of my life. Like I tried them periodically as a teen, but I never stuck to them and didn't really want to be on them. And so I finally gave in again. Um, and the walk-in doctor, he didn't even really know me. Um, and I asked for a referral to see a psychiatrist to get 
diagnosed and but he like was reluctant to do that and was like they're just going to do the same thing I'm doing and I was like okay sir um that's cool but I still like it and so he did but he also put me on venlafaxin which was the same medication that I I took I believe I took 20 of them and I basically like tripped out for two or three days in the intensive care unit um, and I remember my mom took me to the hospital because I ended up telling her what happened. And I remember I started hallucinating and had, I guess I had a seizure. I blacked out. But I remember coming back as I was in the ICU, like right next to the nurse's station, and I was moving things with my eyes. And it was almost like, now looking back on it, it was kind of like the matrix was kind of like very visible and I was just kind of playing around. And, you know, obviously I don't need to explain everything, like explain myself, but that's what it felt like. And so I was really scared of those medications when I was put on them recently and, uh, talking to Mari or my teacher about it, she was like, you're so scared of it. You have a contract with that thing and with it, like, and I guess it feels like it came full circle. Like it was like something happened at that time and I needed to fulfill, I don't know, fulfill the contract with it. So now I'm on it still and it's fine, but it's been a long up and down journey and that stuff is fucking insane. Um, Anyways, so I feel like this is... No, you're fine, dude. Um, I think it's really hard to tell our story. You know? I thought it was going to be so satisfying. And it's yeah. like, oh, this is actually kind of extremely uncomfortable. But um, we're, t- yeah. we're doing it. Uh, work. So, yeah, that happened. I then started high school, started doing drugs, a lot of ecstasy, um, and exploring psychedelics. Um, But there was something that happened when I, the second time I did acid, and it was a group of friends, and we were all like 14 to 16, and we took a lot, and something happened to our friend now looking back I'm like some sort of entity got in like something happened to us that traumatized us in particular my friend and I um because we were never the same after and this is this is weird ever since then I would go on to do acid again, have horrible trips, like terrifying, like the worst. And I would, but I, I like missed when it was good that one time. So I ended up sticking to more like ecstasy, MDMA, all of that. Um, okay, so teenage years, I met a friend who was a 
narcissist and it was kind of like a platonic narcissist empath relationship and people said that I started to change when I met her and I basically self-sacrificed my identity so that I could still be her friend um and that really fucked me up like it took until really recently to come back from the trauma that I experienced in that relationship so my teens are just a blur of like sexual trauma drugs alcohol and a lot of it was really fun and adventures and like beautiful but I ended up really messed up from it and I took me for a really long time to admit that too um but eventually I got into the harder stuff um and I was shooting heroin and I never really ended up a full-fledged like drug addict I was more of a binger and I got dope sick one time and it was awful and I was able to just be like well not doing that again and I did it a couple more times after that, but I never shot up after that. And eventually, like, I knew that, obviously, like, I struggled to, with self-control, but I know that eventually I stopped doing each drug. It was, like, one after the other. Then I had, like, a relationship with cocaine, and then eventually that stopped. So I never went to AA or NA, but at about 18, about... 18 or 19, I met Nicholas, who's my current partner, and having someone who wasn't in that scene to be accountable to, someone who I cared, who cared about me and I cared about, I don't really like saying like I cared what he thought about me, but I know that I didn't want to, I couldn't continue doing what I was doing and maintain a healthy relationship with him. And so being with him was the beginning of me eventually getting out of the drug scene and not doing drugs anymore and there were little there were times here and there where I would relapse but it was more like almost to remind myself why I don't do it and uh now I'm in a place where like I feel like I could do drugs if I wanted to and it would be a fun experience because it's not about getting fucked up anymore it's more about just enjoying myself um but again it's not something it's like now that I can do drugs I don't really want to um I've developed the self-control but um yeah up until then it was like everyone else would it would do have we would have a night partying and I would just be destroyed after like emotionally everyone would be fine and it's like oh I'm hungover like how oh, let's get breakfast whatever that was fun and I'd be like I feel gr- like I'm grieving like I feel like I the guilt and the shame it was just it was a lot but um so in that the one experience that I did want to touch on that was pretty pivotal that's not just my trauma was uh I did had a DMT trip when I was 17 and at that point I'd like (laughs) I knew that like I can't do psychedelics like the like the the average Joe can and like come out of it okay and I knew it was like I can't keep doing this to my mind but someone 
I was working at 7-Eleven, and one of my friends was like, they're doing DMT at this house, this party house that we would frequent. Um, and it was like, it felt like I knew I wanted to, like, it, I was excited about it. And I, like, I could feel in my gut as I was walking there after work, like, I shouldn't do this. But I did it anyways. And that shit was terrifying. Um, but... Can you tell me a little bit about your experience? Yeah. Um, so the beginning of it, like I took the toke and I immediately was on like a carnival ride of fractals. And I say it's terrifying, but it's like, it's also, it was also really amazing. And now I'm not so scared because I know what it was. Um, but mm -hmm. at the time without the context, I was just like, what the fuck? Um, so I, it was like a carnival ride into these fractals with like the colors and the sounds and there, this ties in, anyways, that's not, that's not where I want to start there. So I go in and I'm being tormented by what I now realize is my own ego because it was like, I was trying to defend myself and it was like this. But if I just could, if I, and, and I couldn't like defend myself and that's a lot of, um, it reminds me of, sorry, my dryer is going off. Um, it reminds me of like a lot of my like relationship issues in life is like not being able to get my point across because everyone else could just talk over me because they had the eloquence and they didn't have the emotional baggage that prevented me from speaking my truth with grace and respect rather than just word vomiting or screaming it out um but yeah so eventually he looks at me after I'm like trying I'm fumbling over myself and I'm trying to defend myself and then he just like looks at me and is like oh so sad and like brings his finger down his face or it's like a fucking fractal dude um and so then I just start going through this the wheel, I assume, of like lifetimes. It felt like like hundreds of years of just like one after the other. And I could, the thing was I could feel everything and that's what really fucked with me after was like acid. It was just like all pictures or whatever. Like I could come out of it and just like self-soothe and be okay. But this like, it, I wanna say like, like tore me open or something. And so, there's the lifetimes, wheel of lifetimes of just like pain and monotony and never ending. And then I was also, I don't know if this was before or after, but there was, I was suddenly standing in my 7-Eleven that I worked in and I looked around and it was as if, I always explained it as like getting to the end of a toilet paper roll. And it was like reality got to the end of all there was and everything just like opened up. And it was like the matrix was revealed of how it's literally just like an endless cycle of pointlessness. And I was just like, what did I do? And I think there was like this line of people, but I think it was different me's now that I looking back and I had like jumped out of the line. I had like jumped out mm -hmm. of the, tra the track that I was, that we were all on. 
and they all everything was like what did you do like it was like I had done something and this is like I was always scared of getting in trouble my whole life like that I don't know that's how I simplify like the anxiety like I've done something horrible and that's unforgivable and that was like the looks on their faces and it was like I had broken reality and it was an unfixable unforgivable thing and like so and then like I'm over at this table and there's endless burgers being shoved in my mouth and then like cigarettes I'm smoking endless cigarettes and then my boyfriend at the time uh were like shoved in through each other so like our forms like meshed through each other and it was the fact that I could feel this all happening but it was like how do I know what this feels like um and so it was just kind of like like it was just kind of like I was tortured for a while doing that um and then something eventually happened where I broke and I was just like I'm sorry and I like shattered into a bunch of pieces of glass and I and like those feelings were so traumatic that I would pause I like for months and years after like I would be falling asleep and I would feel the glass again or I would be falling asleep and I would breathe in and it would be like the the toke of DMT was half like I was taking it again and I would like come out of it and like I watched some acupuncture video on Vice where the it, it part place in Asia where they use cigarettes to do acupuncture and it like scared the shit out of me, which is just like so it's getting to the like less horrifying part now. So I like surrendered. What I realized was just I needed to surrender and stop. Um, what's the word? Resisting. Um, which is again a huge theme in my life. Uh, and I finally shattered and said, I'm scared. And that's when these seven women or yeah, female figures, beings, which I've come to learn are my guides in this life, um, the seven sisters, um, and they surrounded me and were like immediately like, it's okay, you don't need to be scared. We have you, you're all, everything's okay. And they took me and kind of put me back together in a sense. And um, I was taken to this like room and I, it's, it was like a tapestry almost of like a family, which I imagine is my soul family. And they looked like, they looked like this like, archetypal black family like very um kind of like a, like a sitcom or something anyways it's hard it's so that's a weird way to explain it but I could see them all doing different things and I they were like I was like I don't know if I can do this and they were all like they were creating the fractals and they were like it's okay you can and I pushed through the fear and started doing it and got into the flow and they were like see you can do this too you can do it and I that's when it all got really amazing and really beautiful and I like was making fractals and was having a great fucking time and then that's when I started to come out of it and I was back 
in the like sketchy basement of this party house with a bunch of people and my best friend. And I think the first thing I said was like, well, that was a kick in the ass. And like one of my friends was like, Sophie, like almost like how disrespectful, but I was like, I don't know what you want me to say. That was intense. And after that, it was, I wasn't the same. And it was like, I was, you know, I like, I, I was severely traumatized from it. And I remember going to see, I called this woman who I had been seeing for Reiki for a long time. And I was like, I called her and I never called people at that time. And I was like, I need emergency Reiki. Cause like, if I go and try and tell a doctor, like they're going to just think I'm insane. But it felt like I kept having these waves of like, um, I would breathe in and it would be like my breath would extend way too long. And I felt like I was going to leave my body. And it was really scary at the time. And so I got on her, got there, got on her table and the waves kept coming. And she was like, well, you kind of got a slap on the wrist because, because like my impatience, like she was like, you we're slowly filling your cup of like spiritual knowledge and learning and, and, you know, doing the work. And then you kind of overfilled the cup and uh, got a slap on the wrist. And I remember just being like, it feels so fucking weird. And she was like, the more you resist, the harder it'll be, the worse it'll feel. And so after that, the trauma of it drove me to do like I never I didn't really do cocaine before then I didn't really like I was more interested in like MDMA and like psychedelic type stuff but I stopped all of that after that and ended up like I and just started drinking and doing blow um but it was almost like I remember saying that it was like after that I couldn't lie to myself anymore and I don't know if that still resonates, but I've come to learn that it was, uh, I don't know, it, it has a lot of symbolism for me in my life now. And I like when I was going through my awakening, there were so many like, oh, my God, that's what that meant. But like now I haven't really thought about it in a really long time. And uh but yeah, I mean, I know lots of people who have lots of fun with that stuff, but I just, I'm really, really psychic and I don't need very much. I don't really need anything to go into those worlds and to get, go into those kinds of experiences. And what I needed to do as a younger person was be patient, go slowly and practice. But instead, I really, I was really impatient and just wanted the, I didn't believe that I could get to those states without drugs. And now I know that I can, and I don't really, I don't even smoke weed anymore um, because it's just, it's too much. Um, my life's already psychedelic enough at this point. And so when I had my awakening, it was, so I started a year of healing. My cat was sick. She was going through surgery. 
and I basically couldn't work anymore. So I started going, I went on EI and like a medical leave and started intensive, like every week trauma therapy and uh, was this really amazing therapist from, I had to go out of province to find someone who was a person of color, let alone black, which was annoying, but I am glad I found her. Um, and we started doing the hard work, the like shadow work. And I basically was like, <laughs> like, I was like, I'm not, I can't, like, I can't deal with this anymore. Like I can't go through life with this much emotional turmoil and pain every day. And I made a promise to myself, which I haven't really told anybody that if like it, life still sucked this much when I was 27, like I didn't have to keep going anymore. Um, and that's when I started the healing, the like really just focused on it. And I'm really like grateful that I was able to do that. Um, but as that went on, um, like I started getting better, but I also started kind of like, that's when I started losing my mind because it's like when you strip yourself down and pull out all the trauma, like you're like, who am I? And like, what's left? And um, I thought I was done and I wanted to start working again because my EI had run out. I had started tattooing. I, it was going well, a friend of mine who owned a tattoo shop uh, invited me to join. And so I began working there and, um, but I was not ready. And I basically was just on my shit, old shit again with like not being patient and not waiting and not trusting myself, which was, that was a huge thing. Like, um, I believe that like tricksters, there's a saying where it's like, even a trickster has lessons. So I was wanting to work with deities. Like I was wanting to do all this stuff, but I was also not doing the work like I wasn't taking my time and I was just jumping from one thing to the next, very ADD style. And I ended up encountering uh, a chaos entity, which I wasn't ready for. Like I wasn't, it was almost like a test. And I knew that if I just stayed in my heart and trusted myself like there was nothing for it to take, but I hesitated. And that ended up being the beginning of losing my mind because that's what they do, they take your mind. And I isolated, which is the worst thing to do. I there's this weird aspect that ties into the beginning where I did the acid with my friends where something happened, something got in, something changed. 
us and there's this sound that would play that reminded me of insanity whenever I would do certain psychedelics, like it would start to play. And I have a feeling that there's been something fucking with me for a lot longer. And I opened myself up because I was doing shit where I was just opening myself up and looking back on it now and knowing how to protect yourself from things. I was just not doing that at all. And I was very careless with my body and my mind and myself for so long that I don't, I don't know if this is even accurate of what happened, but there was an, eventually I knew I was dealing with something and I got to a point where like I was fucking with my meds. I was, I don't even know. A lot of it I don't remember. And a lot of it like it's triggered. I can remember or prompted, but um, it was a lot of like, I, I, I always, I wanted to like, I've explained it as like when you, uh, women in like the 18 or like Victorian era that would like be stuck in a house and slowly go insane. That's kind of what I, what happened. And eventually I think I spoke to my teacher. I'm not sure. I just remember standing over my desk and I heard chaos demon and I stopped and it was like, Oh, and it's almost like I was so bare and like stripped down to and frail in a energetic and spiritual sense that I just kind of like, it was like, oh, okay. And I stopped being scared. It was like, I let my fear take over, which in turn gave it something to feed on, which in turn was slowly eating away at my sanity. And so once I was able to like, I told my teacher this and she was like, well, it's because you're so old. You just knew. And I guess that's what it was. I'm not, not hundred percent sure, but I just remember being like, Oh, and like all of a sudden all the fear was gone. And I just like came back to myself and this like sense of calm and confidence came over me. And it was like the, the, spirit whatever the fuck was still there but it started to like have less and less to feed off of and I came back to myself and I remember going to the grocery store with Nick that night and like just not being scared anymore and the not being scared cut off the food supply which I'm just looping but that was the beginning of my actual healing and or the end of that era and that night I was sitting in the bathroom and I was staring at the wall and it was like that sound that had been at the back of my mind for a lot of my life started to play but because I wasn't scared anymore I knew who I was I knew what what every like I I did I knew I rem- I knew who I was again and I, I had lost my sense of identity. I think that started back, that acid trip, that relationship with the narcissist, 
all of that like stripped me of my identity and well and I self-sacrificed uh in the utmost like the highest sense um and it was like I could see the the cycle end it was like the sound started and normally that would be the moment where I would have a trauma response and just freak out but I didn't I just like sat there and faced it and I like faced like the boss of my I don't even like the boss of my trauma <laughs> Um, like using video game references, but, uh, and something like, it was almost like it left. It was like, and I heard this big, like, like, like gears, like clunk clunk. And it was like, and then the sound was gone. And it was like, I could finally hear myself. And I wasn't scared of myself. I wasn't scared of my mind, which I had been my whole life. I wasn't scared to be alone with my thoughts. I just sat there. And I felt the cycle end and it was like I'd been fighting that demon for I don't know how long, but I finally beat it and I regained my sanity slowly. I healed over time and it was like healing from psychosis in one aspect and also healing from all of the trauma that I had just ripped open, all the wounds that I just ripped open because I was, I wanted to heal them. And I, like, I remember like not really knowing, I felt stronger than I'd ever had in my whole life in the sense that I wasn't scared anymore, but I also had a brain injury essentially and had to like kind of take baby steps and I learned how to do things slowly from the very beginning again and like I remember Nick just like taking me outside to garden with him and I just like sat there and like put my hands in the earth and he'd get like baby steps like and then you just put it in the and I just like planted with him and I took walks every day and I finally learned how to do things like I learned how to take it slow and I learned the the benefit of of baby steps which people have been trying to teach me my whole life but I was like too impatient um <laughs> and uh that was the end of the like really really fucked up part of my awakening and you know it was still months before I was back in my like, even now, like, I'm, this trip to visit my dad was, like, another huge, like, leap forward. Oh, so that happened, and I started getting better, and then once that was over, and I finally, like, could function again, I, like, relearned how to cook I relearned how to be an adult. I relearned how to do everything. That's when Marvels passed. And it was like, Marvels had been with me since I was like 17 or 18. And she was my best friend and my familiar and like my firstborn, I always said, um, the first cat I had that was my own. And it was like she waited until I didn't need 
until I knew I was going to be okay without her in the physical, then she passed. And then that was my first real experience of living through death. And I think she was dying this whole time, but she held on for a really long time. And I think her being that close to the end was like another level and like it was making the spirit world that much closer in my experience. And um, so when she passed, it was like, I was okay. Like I, I felt a sense of relief and also like, like I had to be strong. And so when she passed, I like, held her it was the first time I'd seen a dead body and I wrapped her and created a death shroud and like did a whole ritual and buried her and that was my first real experience with grief that of someone who was close to me and it was like it was hard but it was like okay now you're an adult now you're actually you're not a kid anymore now you're there's no like, I told my dad during all of this, I called him, I was like, it's like they took the training wheels off. And he was just like, oh, you're growing up. I was like, <laughs> why are you so nonchalant about this? It's terrifying. Um, but it's almost like, I felt like I was a million years old my whole life, but I still felt there was still the like amnesia and illusion of like in this lifetime, I'm still only a kid. And now, now I'm an adult. And so, yeah, marbles passed. And it was like once she passed and once that the, the depths of the grief, which was like a few weeks, once that ended, it was like, it was like my life started again. And I'd been on pause for over a year living in these like other dimensions and other worlds and um going through it it was like just day by day and I but like looking back I realized how like wild it was but um and then another like I keep thinking I'm like oh I'm so good now and then my dad, I had to go visit my dad, which is another huge like trauma for me. And when I got here, he was in the hospital, but he had just had a seizure. So when he has a seizure, he isn't fully there. And seeing him like frail in a bed, looping, like almost like very dementia-like, um, and like my two little sisters who are like 13 and 16 or 12 and 15, I was the, I was the, the adult I had to take and I'm used, I was never like, I'd never had to really do that before. So it was like, I leveled up again because whereas before I would have just surrendered responsibility to the nearest adult, I took the responsibility and I like, helped him with his medical stuff. I put my name as his like caregiver on the, with the hospital um, or as like first contact. And I like it, like the little things like setting up his oxygen tank and like 
taking him for walks and like having to just like not crumble under the weight of what I was going through but it was like I was okay and like showing myself that was like it was like I I don't know I keep saying it it's like I I keep I grew so much in that short set that that first week here and um it was like I don't know I'm like very aware that I'm in a different reality than I have ever been before and that I'm it's like familiar but also new and exciting every day and it's like all of the work I've done I can finally see now the progress I've made and I can I don't I don't like being able to sit in silence and like go into a meditative state and like not waste away my time avoiding things which I still do sometimes like I'm not perfect or anything but the the contrast of where I have been to where I am now is insane and I'm extremely grateful for it um and now like yeah the training wheels are gone and it's pretty fucking cool and here we are yeah now here we are now I can like it's like you can hear like I still like have a hard time finding certain words but like and then the podcast doing our first episode of the podcast and listening back to my voice and not hating myself and not hating the way I spoke and it's like I made it to 27 and I don't want to die. <laughs> you know, like I yeah. am. And I'm so, I'm so happy. Like fundamentally, it'll never be as bad as it once was because of the, the wisdom I have now. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, so let me know what you think with this. I was thinking we could do, two separate podcasts but do you just want to do one full one of both of our stories yeah I'm down if you feel like it I would love that yeah I feel like I can do it yeah um I don't have any of my notes but I think I'm I'm pretty good I just listening to your story I realized that like our stories are so stupidly similar (laughs) it's scary okay like it's scary how much um how many similarities there are in like our childhood and just, you know, our teenage years, all that stuff. Um, I think the only difference in our stories that I've noticed so far is I think I had to grow up really fast. Um, And so I kind of always felt like I was a lot older than I really was. Um, I don't think emotionally I was there, you know, like, emotionally I stopped maturing at the age of 14 when I started drinking yeah you know so like um but besides that like it yeah yeah I was anyways so I know in the beginning of this episode we said we were going to do two different episodes but I think I'm just gonna go from here um 
so I, I grew up in Michigan. I still live here. I left for a little bit um, in 2016 or 2017, but so I'm, I'm a Michigander, the Great Lakes, you know, and uh, I've always hated it here, but I'm learning how to love it now. Um, my mom and my dad got divorced when I was uh, three and a half. So I don't really remember what it was like for them to be together, but I know now that like there's there's still trauma there because like our bodies remember what happened. And so like my parents would like scream at each other and my mom was like throwing shit at my dad. Like I'm sure my dad threw shit at her. Like it was just absolute chaos. Um, and I don't think that I really, well, and this is the other thing. My mom was adopted and it was a closed adoption. Um, Anybody in the United States listening to this, if you know anything about adoption policies in uh, New York City or New York in general, they're very, very, very strict. And so like my mom, when she was 18, tried to find her biological family and was just wasn't able to. Um, and I have more on that later. That's why I'm prefacing. But like, so... Yeah, all I really, really ever had was my dad's side and then my mom's adoptive, you know, parents, um, which me, my mom and my brother are all very different than them, obviously, because we're not of the same blood. Um, and so it was like trying to fit um, into a hole that was not the right size or the right shape. You know, like we were, um, my, I love my grandma to death and I love my grandpa. My grandpa's passed now, but um, yeah, we just didn't fit in, you know, like I'm, I'm somebody who curses every other word and is sloppy um, and not polite and not um, very proper, you know, and like my, my grandma and my grandpa were very like, it's yes not yeah you know what I mean like they would correct me all the time because I just didn't talk proper enough for them it was very uppity rich you know and um my grandma's loosened up a lot since then she's actually really cute now but you know back in the day it was like if you had your elbows on the table mm -mm, you were in trouble you know and so anyways you know like my parents divorced. They uh, ended up remarrying my step parents um, when, like, my my mom remarried when I was like five, and then my dad remarried when I was like six or something like that. I absolutely hated my step parents for most of my childhood because I just had this like thought in the back of my mind that like my parents are supposed to be together. I don't want second parents, you know. Like, I didn't want. Um, some other adult telling me what to do like I didn't want four fucking parents you know it's hard you're a troubled kid like you just want to be crazy and not have four different parents tell you no <laughs> um so I you know I don't honestly remember a ton from my childhood 
uh, and I know now why, um, but I don't really know how I'm going to tell this story. Okay, so um, what I do remember and I figured out when I was a teenager was that um, one of my grandfathers, not the one that I was just talking about, but the grandfather on my dad's side um, tried to molest me. And so big trigger warning here, sorry. Um, and I didn't uh, realize at the time that that was what was happening. I was 11 when it happened. And I like, I remember the feeling of like, this isn't right. You know what I mean? Like my, my stomach was like fucking turning. Like this isn't, this doesn't feel right. Why is he doing this? I don't feel safe, you know, just not understanding. But like my my voice was gone. I couldn't, I couldn't say no. You know what I mean? Like, I, like, what are you doing? Like, no, I don't want you to do that. Blah, 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 blah. And luckily, you know, before my grandfather had gotten too far, my grandma came home with a, you know, handfuls of groceries and I just got right up off the couch and I ran to the other room and helped her put groceries away. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember going back um after that I used to spend like every other weekend there because my dad wanted to go out and get drunk um and didn't want to watch his daughter so he would send me over to my my grandparents house mm -hmm. on his weekends and um because my mom had most of the custody and so yeah I just I, a little part of me was left in that living room and I realized that now um, and I figured that out later on in EMDR trauma therapy, but I just kind of shut down after that. I think by 11, you know, like pretty soon after that, I started smoking cigarettes, started stealing them from my parents. By the time I was 13, um, I was smoking pot and cutting myself, um, cause I was, suicidal by that age um and so self-harm was like the only way that I knew to like release that pain um because I couldn't tell anybody and I did, honestly I don't even know if I really knew at the time what actually happened to me I think what happened is I I blacked it out immediately mm -hmm. I just knew I didn't want to go to grandpa's anymore you know um something was weird there and I wasn't sure and then I started drinking by the time I was 14. And like you, I, I ran into a lot of um, sexual trauma there too. You know, my first time ever drinking, I got absolutely plastered and then I was raped. You know, like that, that was, and that like set the precedent of what my addiction was going to be. It was going to be get blackout drunk be molested, be raped, something along those lines, and then go on my merry way, you yeah. know? And I remember coming home that night, and I had sobered up by the time I got home. But I remember just crying on my floor thinking, what have I done? I, I've, you know, I've lost my virginity to somebody who doesn't even care about me, and my mom's going to kill me. Um, what do I do? You know, like, I just cried for hours because I didn't, I thought it was my fault. I thought even though I said no multiple times, it was still my fault because I just laid there, 
but I was so drunk that yeah. I couldn't move. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so, like I said, it set the precedent. Um, I then started attracting men who were going to be abusive um, and demanding, uh, especially sexually. Um, I had a couple of nice boyfriends in between, but they were almost too nice. Like I wasn't used to having the niceness. I was used to being abused. So I kept, you know, leaving the nice guys for the mean guys and self-sabotaging. Um, and then my, my grandpa, my mom's adoptive father passed away when I was 16 years old. And at this time I was, um, really busy getting drunk still. And like the day he died, I was at the nursing home and, uh, he was, he was about to go, you know, but my mom was like, I think you need to go now. My friend Sam was there. And so we left and we went out and partied and my grandpa died right before I got plastered, you know, like that was just how it was. And, uh, after he passed away, I really started thinking like, I really, I should probably stop smoking, you know, like even though his death wasn't necessarily smoking related. Um, I just could see like my other grandfather deteriorating Mm -hmm. and, um, he was a, he was a big smoker for most of his life. And so I was like, I don't want to smoke anymore. And so my mom was like, okay, well, why don't we get you started on Shantex? And so they started me on Shantex Mm -hmm. and, um, I started having dreams that the grandfather that just died, I had dreams that he was dying in my arms and I couldn't save him. So I think I just stopped going to sleep after a little while. It was like, I was only on it for like 10 days and there was like, I just stopped sleeping. There was two, I went two days without sleeping at all. Mm. And mind you, I was 16. I was still in high school and, um, I was very suicidal already, and the Shantex amplified that, and then on top of that, I wasn't sleeping, you know? So I was, like, going into, like, almost a psychosis, Um, and I ended up taking a bunch of pills out of my bathroom. Like, I didn't know how to kill myself, and at the time, I wasn't on many medications, you know, so, like, I just took, like, a bunch of Tylenol PM and something else. I don't even remember what it was, but it was, like, heaping handfuls of this shit. I was, like, I just don't, I don't want to exist anymore. I can't do this, and I loved my grandfather. I loved him, so, like, to have him die in my arms over and over and over again, um, I'm, like, tearing up just thinking about it like it was it was hard um and I took the medicine and I sat down on my bed and I kind of just immediately I was like I don't I don't think I want to die you know like I, I don't think I'm ready and so I called my mom and I'm like mom I just you need to take me to the hospital I just took a bunch of pills I think I had cut my wrist too because I was like this isn't happening fast enough like I just want 
and I couldn't cut my wrist deep enough. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, you know, but like they took me to the hospital and I just remember being really out of it and like looking up and like my high school boyfriend was like standing over me. Like, what did you do? Like, what, did, what's going on? You know, cause nobody knew I wasn't telling anybody what was, what had happened prior to that, like the dreams or anything like that. And so nobody really understood. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't see straight. I was just kind of really like loopy at this point. Um, and I remember being moved up because I was a child. So like I'm at the fucking children's hospital overdosing on Tylenol and they're like pumping my blood with, with some type of like um, medicine that like counteracts the Tylenol in your system. And I'm like puking up all of this green shit coming out of me. Like it was like just pouring out of me. And my dad is on the bench on the other side of this big ass room and is screaming at me. How could you do this to our family? What is wrong with you? Like, I don't even remember everything you said because I was still really fucking loopy, but I just remember that. And like, I was scream crying at him to get out. My mom heard him in the hallway and ran in and told him to get out and don't come back. Like it was traumatizing as shit, you know? So I ended up getting um, discharged and I went straight to a mental hospital. Um, and in this mental hospital, I was sitting down and just talking to somebody in the that was also a patient in the hospital. And all of a sudden I had flashes of what my grandfather had done to me. Mm. Just, just like an instant knowing like yeah. he did something bad, you know? Yeah. And so luckily I was in a mental hospital when yeah. this happened. No doubt. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, coming, coming to my family about what had happened was really hard. Um, I also have an uncle on that side of the family that I can't really talk about it because it's not, he hurt somebody in his own family very, very badly. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to tell her story for her because she doesn't want it to be known. Yeah. But, um, you know, there was already that trauma in our family of like, oh, we have somebody who does this to young people, you know. Mm -hmm. And so my dad didn't want to believe it, of course. Um, and at the time they were thinking about diagnosing me with borderline personality disorder. They hadn't diagnosed me yet, but they were like, this might be what's wrong with her. And so my dad goes to his therapist and it's just like, I think they're going to diagnose her with this. This is what she told me about my dad. I don't want to believe it, you know, and his therapist told him, well, oftentimes people who are abused, confuse their abuser with someone they love. So essentially, this therapist who knew nothing about borderline personality or sexual trauma gave my dad the idea that I might be confusing being abused by someone else with his dad. And so 
that fucked me up because then I'm like, well, is it true? I don't know anything about borderline personality disorder. So maybe I am confusing it and maybe, you know, and so it, it went through this whole like period of my life where I'm like, did I just rip my family apart unknowingly because somebody else abused me? And so that was like probably the beginning of me like truly questioning my gut and like my intuition um, and my inner knowing. Mm -hmm. But it was obviously way before that. But like that was like if I could pinpoint like something that really catapulted my distrust for myself, that was it. That moment when my dad told me that is that I might be making it up essentially. Mm -hmm. And so my relationship with my dad like really went sour for a long time, um, especially after those two events, you know, the hospital and then the mental institution. And so I didn't see my dad for a long time, reconnected with him again, like a year later, and then kind of fell apart again. And then I don't know, there's like so much to it, but essentially, oh, to backtrack a little bit, I also moved around by the time I was 18, I had lived in 13 different houses at least. Um, and so I had no sense of home at all. Um, like when I think of home, I, I don't have one. Like I, I can't tell you which home was like my home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and so I started getting really into to drugs and into alcohol and I say drugs but it's really just marijuana at the time here in high school you know I would ever every once in a while I'd get my hands on some pain pills and that was about it mm. and so I was stealing alcohol from the store all the time um, getting drunk on the weekends sometimes during the week and just wanting to escape I was cutting this whole time too um, and I was getting in trouble with the law a lot as well. So when I was 17, I got in trouble with the law for the first time. Uh, I got caught stealing alcohol. And so I got like what they call a minor possession of alcohol here. It's called MIP. So I'll, I'll preface that. Like I got a few of those. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, like I... I didn't really think anything was wrong with me because everyone around me was also doing that. So I didn't think like, maybe I'm an alcoholic because I steal alcohol, you know? I just thought, well, this is how kids get it. You know what I mean? Kids drink, whatever. Um, but then I, you know, I went off to college for a little bit and um, about two months into living on campus, I overdosed on alcohol and not on purpose, but I literally stopped breathing in my, um, my dorm room. My heart rate slowed way down. And luckily I was in like school to become a paramedic. So all of my friends were also in school to become a paramedic. And so we all knew CPR. Like this is, it just worked out exactly the way it was supposed to like, 
it's so fucked up because like I'm still kind of friends with the guy who saved my life but like had he not come up at that exact moment to come check on me I would have been dead yeah you know like I probably would have choked on my own vomit and I would have you know whatever would have happened um they just came up at the exact right time and at that time, I was like, okay, maybe I do have a problem with alcohol. And so I, like, swore off alcohol. I did the whole dramatic thing where you, like, throw a shot glass at a tree and, like, let it shatter. It's like, ah, I'll never drink again, you know? That's <laughs> um, Of course, that didn't work out. You know, I started drinking pretty much right away again. Um I was on like academic probation, so I like moved in with my assistant teacher. He was my boyfriend. <laughs> so I moved in with him. He's getting me drunk every single day because that's the only way I'll have sex. You know what I mean? Like it was just toxic as fuck. And then eventually I was like, I got to get out of here. This guy's an asshole. Like, so I move all the way back home keep drinking, you know, drop out of college, all this shit. Um, 